And so good afternoon again from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's edition of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And uh, every week we have a different topic and some aspect of metaphysics, of uh, comparative philosophy, of essentially personal growth and fulfillment, who we are, what we're for, and why we think, feel, and act the way we do, going a little deeper than uh, than most commentaries, talk shows, blogs, and, uh, and podcasts do. In any event, it's uh, great to be here. I look forward to these every Sunday morning. It's a live event, and you guys are able to listen either on the web, via the Internet, or by telephone. And I know there's people that listen by cell phone while they're driving around. Uh, you got the little earpiece in so you don't get the brain cancer and uh, whatever works for you. So I'm, I'm just glad that you're here. Our topic this week is a deeper look at the secret, the incredibly successful, uh, well, I was going to say book, but it was really a DVD first and then a book. And isn't that interesting? Usually it works the other way around. This is a book made out of the movie by Rhonda Byrne. And she tells the story of finding this book, uh, The Secret of Ages by Robert Collier, then finding similar books, as all of us have done. Uh, she probably even found a bookstore like The Bodhi Tree, for example. Our L.A. people would know that. And... Uh, down in Australia and eventually came to the United States where most of the teachers are located and made this incredibly successful independent video and later uh, a book and it spawned a whole series of spin-offs. Uh, people claim to have the secret behind the secret and the rest of the secrets and actually they've got a pretty good point. And so that's why I thought I would... Uh, present today a deeper look at the secret because I presume that everybody that's listening, everybody that's on board right now is essentially intrigued by the concept. You probably believe it, maybe you understand it in a conditional way. Uh, I, I have some feedback already uh, from a, uh, a listener who uh, has a concern about the difference between creating your reality and co-creating your reality, which we'll comment on. Again, use that box in the bottom of the web page. If you're not on the telephone, but rather on the web, you can still do that at any point. Um, just plug in a comment or a question, a, a first name or first and last, if you wish, in a city so we know where you are. And uh, we'll go to those comments and those questions in just a few minutes. So let's begin at the beginning. I was, like most of you, uh, really impressed two years ago when this video first came out. And uh, somebody gave me the DVD, and I plugged it in at home and sat back and watched it. and was pretty blown away. Now, immediately I had reservations, as I think many people do, essentially about the materialistic nature of it all. And yet, um, at the same time, Apparently, that's what it takes to get people's attention. Stuff is really what people want. Uh, they want money. They want property. Uh, they want to feed their anxiety. All of us have a lot of anxiety. 
around our possessions. I've uh, recently moved to a different state, and uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about, the job you have to go through, winning down your stuff, cutting loose from all this I'm looking at a pile of it right now here in the office that I used to do this uh, this broadcast, this webinar, this big pile of office supplies and trying to find a place uh, and posters and the things that, you know, pillows and all of this hats and stuff that accumulates, uh, even guitars. Uh, now, we love our stuff, right? And we live in a material world. The idea, as the Sufis used to say, is to live in the world, but not of the world. And although Christian churches don't talk about anti-materialism, Christ was clearly an anti-materialist. He was discalced for one thing, that is, refused to wear shoes. And that's a complete rejection of materialism. Uh, church doesn't like to tell you about, but... You probably remember one of the stories of the rich man that came to Jesus, and, and he said, how do I follow you? And Christ said, well, first, you give away everything you own, and then, okay. So, it's important for us to look at our need to have stuff, to have a nice car that starts and is reliable and gets you where you want to go, and hopefully is uh, responsible in an energy sense to have a decent shelter and a roof that doesn't leak, that keeps you out of the wind and warm on a cold day and uh, sheltered on, on, uh, in bad weather, uh, to have some decent clothes. To do all of this in balance, of course, is the challenge. And I think the secret is, is exploitative or exploitative. <laughs> Let's be exploitative. It exploits our lust and our longing for the false security in materialism. And yet it's a concession we all have to make because we do need, to some degree, stuff. I need uh, a pen. I need a checkbook. I need money in the bank to pay this bill, right? to buy this computer, to put some food in the refrigerator. It's just a reality that we have to, if we're going to live in a material world, and here we are, we're going to have to deal with materialism. Is the secret, can the secret as DVD and video be criticized as too materialistic? I think so. Uh, the only uh, rejoiner I would add is that it did get the attention of a lot of people who might not have been exposed to the law of attraction if it wasn't for the rather crass material appeal that it has. So if there's a benefit, you know what it reminds me of? It's sort of like the debate in the Sierra Club for the last 100 years, which is do we take people out into the wilderness to show people how valuable this and precious this resource is given that it's going to have an impact on the wilderness? Or do we encourage them to stay home and sell them expensive coffee table books that um, help to generate this understanding of just how precious and valuable the wilderness is in so many different ways? But then the coffee table books 
are a resource. You have to cut down trees to make the paper, to make the high-quality book, and and so on and so forth. So, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It cuts both ways. And, and that's where we are with promoting the secret. You know, the more materialistic it is, the more it's about having fast cars and big houses and lots of money, the more popular it's going to be. But that's not really what the law of attraction is about. For ultimately material things, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'll tell you where we're headed here. Material things, as needed as they are, in balance, are really symbols of something more substantial that stands behind the material thing. And to seek that absolute, to, to look beyond symbols, to the absolute, to the eternal, and to the infinite, to find the truth of things, to find what is real in the world, the law of attraction has to be applied in a much more comprehensive way, a way that includes material stuff, but goes way beyond the appearance of things and their their separative form, uh, physical natures, to something much more substantial. Okay, And if that's confusing to you, you're going to have to maybe spend a little bit of time redefining what the word substantial means. Is substantial something physical? Or is substantial less symbolic, more absolute, although not a physical form? Perhaps a concept or an idea, what Plato called ideation, which is absolute and pure. And can we find that? through the law of attraction. Yes, we definitely can. And that's what I mean by today's theme. A deeper look, a more profound, a more comprehensive, a more inclusive and more harmonious look at this core metaphysic, the law of attraction. Okay? So I'm sort of telling you where, where we're headed here. Now, one of the things that the DVD, The Secret, which came out just two years ago. It seems longer than that. But it was uh, it was in the summer of 2006 that this DVD and book, uh, shortly afterwards the book came out. Um, so just about two years ago, maybe even a little bit less than that. As I remember, it was the summer of 2006 when suddenly everybody started talking about the secret. And the primary allegory that Rhonda Byrne uses at the beginning of the presentation is the allegory of the genie and having the magic lamp, Aladdin and the magic lamp. And I've used this allegory a lot, but to demonstrate an entirely different principle, which is that even if the law of attraction works like a genie, saying my wish is your or your wish is my command <laughs> your wish is my command all right that's the primary allegory that Rhonda Byrne and others are using in this video and, and, and book about the secret but doesn't that still leave open the dilemma of what do I want and does the secret address this other whole side of the sky this other half of the equation well what if I don't know what I want? I could have a dozen Aladdin's lamps, each with a genie in it. 
And it wouldn't help me a bit if I'm confused about what I want or if I'm not sure I can handle what I want or that I deserve it or that I wouldn't, as mom and dad used to always say, probably end up screwing it up somehow. Sooner or later, you're going to, you know, because you're such a moron and you're so inadequate and I'm so disappointed in you. Why did I ever have kids? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. Often the reason we don't have what we want is not simply an ignorance of the workings of the law of attraction, but the fact that we don't know what we want, and if the genie was standing right in front of us, you'd go, um, well, um, gee, uh, gosh, I'm not sure. Uh, could I take it back if I don't like it? Uh, is satisfaction guaranteed? What's your return policy? Okay, because I, re- I, I really don't know what I want. How could you know how to get something if you don't know what the something is? So, of course, we don't know what to do when we don't know what we want. And both of those questions rely upon a need to really understand who we are and why we want the things that we want. None of this is addressed in the secret. Now, again, it's important. I think if Rhonda Byrne were here, she'd probably even encourage this kind of discussion and debate. And some of the others, Bob Proctor and and, uh, John Demartini and Michael Beckwith and and some of the others in that video um, would encourage us. I, I, I hope so, because it can't be inclusive. Uh, a single book, a single documentary can't have all concepts in it. Uh, there's no way. It's one of the reasons that I think I've been tentative about publishing myself, is that I, I like the dynamic nature of radio and podcasts and webinars because they keep unfolding and every event you do lasts forever. But next week I'll do another one and the week after that another one. Books always seem to me to be so static and so permanent that once I, I'm just sharing my personal fears with you here, that once I publish one, I'm going to be immediately dissatisfied at all the stuff I left out. You see, that's my dilemma. I'll take ownership of that. But um, when we criticize something like The Secret, we've got to keep that in mind. Nevertheless, this is a big, big issue, and I put it up front because it's really not addressed in The Secret, at least not adequately, that you have to have a very good idea of who you are and what you want before you can command the genie to bring it to you. Okay, Legend and mythology, is it not full? of stories about people who caught a leprechaun and made a wish or had an Aladdin's lamp and made a wish. And and inevitably, they get into trouble. I remember Twilight Zone about this also and and, uh, and amazing stories that Spielberg did about it. But literature uh, is full of these admonitions and warnings that um, the the... The wish-granting powers of the universe are not to be trifled with. That if you're going to talk about manifesting a reality in the image of your conceptualization, that's a pretty big responsibility. Because, and I think this is the second point we need to make, because nobody is an island. No one is uh, living in such an isolated way that others are not impacted by our 
manifestations, our creations, shall we say, our attitudes, our beliefs, our expectations, our hopes, affect everybody around us in sometimes very subtle ways and at other times in very powerful and significant ways. So we have to begin to think of ourselves as co-creators. This is the second point that is missed, I fear, in the common and mundane treatments of this sacred principle, the law of attraction. Um, You're not living alone. You're not creating your reality all by yourself. You live in an ocean of consciousness, and everybody is co-creating to varying degrees. I will admit that some people are more effective uh, than other people because they're more conscious of the process. They understand the importance of dreaming a dream. Uh, I like the Victor Hugo quote we put in the newsletter this week. There's nothing like a dream to create reality. Well, that's Victor Hugo. Uh, I love the John Lennon quotation. Maybe you've heard me say before, um, reality leaves a lot to the imagination. Thank you, John. (laughs) He also said, life, Lennon did, life is what happens when you're making other plans. And this is part of the brilliance of Lennon, that he knew both of these things. You know, the Beatle, John Lennon, McCartney Lennon. Um, That he understood that both things were true. That we're not that good yet. And so other things happen that we didn't plan, that we didn't create. Uh, we get blindsided and caught, caught off guard. The secret doesn't address that. It suggests that if you're responsible for manifesting everything or anything in your life, you must be responsible for manifesting everything in your life. Okay? Perhaps that's true. But wouldn't it be true to varying degrees? I mean, what kind of spiritual arrogance is it to suggest that in an exclusive way, you are creating the reality around you. You're creating everybody's reality? No, I don't think so. But you're creating only your reality, and everybody else is creating only their reality? Well, that would be the opposite extreme. You're not creating everybody's reality, but everybody is not living in total isolation. The the mix is in the middle here. Both things are true. So I'm living in a shared reality, and the best way, I think, to talk about this is co-creation. Now, I've already got a uh, a comment from one of our listeners. In fact, this came in before the the event this morning began. And uh, here we go. It's Jim in Anaheim. And he comments on this. He says that uh, he he likes the secret. He thought the core message was great. He said, uh, Perrin, I believe we co-created, Perrin, and this reality must uh, always come into the billions of other realities in our world. And then he goes on to talk about his problem with the emphasis on materialism, which I've already uh, addressed, though, briefly. And Jim in uh, Anaheim, thank you for those comments, and uh, obviously I share um, your concern about the overemphasis on stuff and materialism, and uh, Jim also points out a lot of the speakers in the DVD 
the the presenters are entrepreneurs and money people and success people and again i think you know while unfortunate and certainly incomplete that also accounts for its success so it sort of sword cuts both ways so to speak but here jim's also talking about um you know being co-creators that's a word gene houston used 30 years ago being co-creators and uh, it's very very important concept we co-create our realities to varying degrees and depending on how conscious we are we can enhance our influence on relationships circumstances and events that's what we're talking about in the secret Another point I want to make, a third point in our deeper look, we could call it a criticism or just a deeper, more holistic, more harmonious look at the consequences of the law of attraction as revealed in The Secret by Rhonda Burns, is the alpha brainwave state. Uh, the importance of using altered states, states of profound relaxation, we did talk about altered states last week in this very class and talked about not only using meditation and contemplation, but the shamanic use of psychedelics and psychotropic psychoactive drugs, mind-expanding drugs. And, of course, there's a debate how organic or how real are those altered states, how valuable uh, could they be if drug-induced. Well... Not to repeat last week's show, but it, it can run the gamut from useless to incredibly valuable. And then we also talked about the light and sound machines and the binaural beats and the other way, holosync tapes and other ways of creating altered states. But the primary, if you will, organic or natural way of creating an altered state is through relaxation. Um, in the field known as hypnosis, 150 or even 80 years ago or so, hypnosis was thought to be about fascination. And so the swinging pocket watch or the rotating spiral um, or stare into my eyes, the Svengali thing, was about creating fascination as a kind of a trance or an altered state where people's understanding expanded greatly, higher consciousness or expanded awareness. We now know that it's not really fascination that creates this altered state, but relaxation, a feeling of letting go of muscular tension, of stress and anxiety and nervousness and apprehension and, and the whole critical nature of the conscious mind or the so-called left brain, the man and the brain, that is primarily mental and criticizes us so much of the time. Uh, you can let go of all of that. And the mind focuses like binoculars or a telescope. You can, you, you can, or a camera, you can bring it into focus. Okay. You can have greater concentration. I've always thought it was intriguing, the term paying attention. I'm not sure who coined the term paying attention, but that's what we're talking about. Mental focus or concentration, clarity, 
Sometimes it's called mental lucidity, to be lucid, or mental acumen, simply to be clear, to get the big picture. Everybody knows the aha experience, which comes to us often spontaneously, and you suddenly realize, understand, or recall something that was inaccessible to you just moments ago and then bursts into your awareness, well, what if you could go to that place? This is not discussed uh, sufficiently in the video, I don't think, and I would call your attention to it. Uh, it's as if you're not going to have access to the genie or the Aladdin's lamp in normal consciousness you're overstimulated in normal consciousness. There's just too much going on. You suffer from monkey mind, too many ideas competing for your attention. And all of that monkey mind, that mental stimulation, uh, that chaos that goes inside most people's minds, these ideas shouting at us, listen to me, pay attention to me, think about this, what are you going to do about that? It, it generates a very negative quality of, of emotion, of fear-based emotions that, that come along with it. So the law of attraction is not going to work very well in normal consciousness. It's like you're scattering all of these seeds, all of these thoughts take root. The positive ones, the negative ones, the horrible ones, the ignorant ones, as well as the well-informed ones, they're all being planted in the fertile garden of the mind and the heart. They all become seed thoughts, and they choke each other out. It's just not going to be nearly as effective if I use relaxation to create an alpha brainwave state, an altered state of consciousness, expanded state of awareness. Call it Christ consciousness. Call it the emerging of the Buddha nature. Call it clarity. It's take a breath, relax. I think there should have been, and and needs to be, more emphasis on using altered states, both for the law of attraction and the other concern that we began with, well, wait a minute, what if I don't know what I want? Uh, this speaks to the idea of the law of attraction being part of a, of a two-way process, and I think this is the next point that I want to go to. Altered states are two-way streets. <laughs> it's not one way. It's not just the law of attraction. There is also the law of receptivity, if you will. There is the concept that in order to do the best possible job at magnetizing or attracting those material things or the more substantial abstracts, states, conditions, circumstances, relationships, opportunities. This is part of what I mean by taking a deeper look beyond the stuff. Okay, And the more substantial, like the only thing ultimately that lasts and the only real substance in the universe is love. Uh, yet, I know that almost nobody understands what that means. And I know that my understanding of that develops every day. And I'm 
spent my whole life committed to nothing else. Fortunately, it's been my job to, to understand it, and this is the mystery of the mysteries. This is the arcane and arcane, the sanctum sanctorum, the secret of secrets is the higher heart. Not just emotional love, but what is love as a magnetic force, as that which is the ultimate substance and the only truth in the universe. And that, of course, is what allows all these separated forms to continue spiritually or from an energy point of view to be part of one thing. It's love at the heart and soul in the middle of the oneness of spirit and the diversity of form that makes it all possible. That's profound and really worthy of some deep, deep contemplation and, and reflection. But there's this receptive state that we've referred to in the altered state process, in the alpha brainwave process. It's not enough just to say you got a genie in there asking for your, what you want, see yourself already having it, act as if it's a done deal, and uh, it's going to manifest in your life. Yeah, it will, but how do you know that's really what you want? Again, a reference to all the myths and stories about people that did this and got into trouble because they were looking at the symbol. They just wanted the thing. They didn't want everything. They didn't conceive of everything that went along with it and probably just didn't have a deep understanding of why we want this thing. I mean, most of the most of the stuff we want because it makes us feel safer somehow. I mean, let's, right? Uh, maybe it's something that's good to eat. Maybe something that is pleasurable in some other way. Something that makes us feel comfortable or, again, enjoying, uh, enjoyable or pleasurable. But bottom line is security. The reason we want stuff is to be safe. And stuff doesn't really make you safe. It can create an illusion that you're safe. But that's part of the conundrum is that you keep realizing again and again, all of my stuff is not helping me to be safe. And yet, whether we're using the law of attraction or just working the program in terms of what most people think they have to do, work hard at a job they hate to make enough money to buy the stuff to make them happy, to make them feel secure, it, it just doesn't work. Whichever your whatever your approach, uh, we have to take a look at why do I want it? Why do I care? Why is it important to me? What is substantial about it? And contemplate that in these same altered states. That's part of the secret too. And it's missing in this commercial approach. Not that that's bad. Again, how could it not be incomplete? Any given book in the topic or, or video, documentary, or what have you, is going to be somewhat incomplete in that regard. So keep in mind, the altered state is a two-way street. And if you had the genie and uh, rub the lamp and the genie comes out and says, your wish is my command, I am the universe. You're in the image of the creator. You reap what you sow. You go where you look. You get what you expect. What goes around comes around. Pay it forward. Givers gain. <laughs> you know, uh, we become what we think. There are a lot of ways of talking about the law of attraction. But first, got to know what you want. Okay? 
Another way of talking about this very same concept is the nature of giving in the law of attraction. How do we attract something in a universe that is based on principles of cause and effect? And is the attraction a cause that creates an effect? Is it that simple? Or is that a cause? Or that cause an effect of some unconscious cause? Uh, in other words, we live in a universe where things don't just happen. They happen for reasons. Everything happens for a reason. It's just... We don't always see what that reason is. What I'm saying is there is a role of giving in the law of attraction, and there is an order. And the giving has to precede any attracting. And this, again, I'm sorry, is to a large extent missing as we take a deeper and more, I think, inclusive look at the principle that is come to be known as the law of attraction. It requires that first you give. What do you give? Well, what is attractive in the law of attraction? What attracts? What is the magnetic part of consciousness? Okay. We're going to talk a little more about this yet this hour, and then we'll go to some of your questions and comments and do a visualization guided imagery exercise here at the end. Again, if you're just joining us and I see a lot of people coming on board, welcome and good afternoon. If uh, you would like to make a comment or ask a question, use the box at the bottom of the page. And uh, I'll go to those in just a couple of minutes. But it's consciousness, of course, that is magnetic. It's the spiritual love that creates an affinity, not just in a romantic or emotional sense, like, come over here, baby, and give me a hug. You are so beautiful. You are so fine. I am so attracted to you. I think I love you. What if every particle in the universe had an affinity for every other particle? And what if that was an appearance of something that was more magnetic than simply a particle's relationship to another particle. What if their relationship went through time and space? And it seems to. It looks like our Western view of a world where everything is separated forms is, if not wrong, certainly incomplete. The idea that there are all these different separated things, and this subject acts upon this object over here, and cause and effect is limited to that. This is the incredible multidimensional domino effect of everything touching everything else. What is a, what is that butterfly effect where? <laughs> The scientist talks about a butterfly flapping its wings in China and through a domino chain reaction ends up causing a tornado in Kansas on the other side of the world. We're beginning to see spirituality in the environment, in the strength of 
unity through diversity and how both things are true, that we get the greatest strength and unity via the harmony that comes from diversity, and both things are true. we got to get a spiritual sense of that same thing, that in terms of energy or spirit, there's just one thing at work here, this ocean of interconnectedness. And yet by all physical appearances, by sense and sensation, uh, there are all these separate and rather unique, indeed, very <laughs> uniquely diverse forms. And both of those things are true. But in the middle of it all is the magnetic nature of love as consciousness, which has to be released, given, radiated, offered up as as the, the seminal process, the fundamental process of creating the magnetic field that then, as a consequence, attracts the opportunities that you seek to attract. Again, not just the material thing, but the opportunities, the relationships, the, the circumstances, the events, the synchronicities, and, uh, and so on. More on synchronicity in a minute, too. So, you have to have an idea of giving to give as opposed to giving to receive. This is a little philosophical conundrum that I think most of us have dealt with at some point where we consider the spiritual law of attraction that you reap what you sow and that uh, in relationships it's the golden rule. But one, usually as a young person or at least uh, uh a teenager at the very latest has to, uh, seems to me, consider the selfish consequences of giving if you know you're going to receive. I mean, why are you really doing it? Well, to get brownie points, to get karma points so that I, I can spend less time in purgatory before I go to heaven or to increase the likelihood I can get to heaven through service and good works uh, or is the benefit of giving just in the giving and uh, identifying the self as one who gives, who provides, who serves, who offers up. You know, people used to talk like this in America. They say, "Hi, how you doing? My name's Michael Benner. At your service." You know, nobody, nobody, see, not very many people seem interested in being at our service these days. It's mostly what's in it for me. It's not that people are bad or that they've regressed or degraded or devolved. It's just the level of fear and anxiety in this uh, uh, period in which we live. We're, we're being terrorized by terrorists and terrorized by those in our government who purport to protect us from the terrorists. And we're being terrorized on both sides. We're being told that fear will eliminate fear and violence will eliminate violence. And, of course, we're being run by madmen. Okay, so what role does giving have in the law of attraction? Well, it's seminal. It's, it's essential. That's where you begin. And what you give is your love, your kindness, your, your gratitude, your, your consideration, your caring nature, uh, your, your gentleness, your wishes for other people to enjoy uh, life and do whatever you can to make contributions and they don't have to be big contributions uh, 
many people think they have little to give when, in fact, uh, you have your attention. You can listen, talk less, listen more. You can give flowers that you cut from your yard or lemons off the tree in the backyard. You can give a little bit of your time to help somebody. That's what creates the magnetic field that is spiritual love, that is consciousness, and is magnetic. And that's what the law of attraction is about, the magnetic nature of this net, this network, this unified field that is the ocean of spirit or consciousness. It has to be set up. You have to give it away. You have to have love in your heart. You have to give before you're worthy to receive. And the law of attraction is not going to work if you're interested in receiving. And then maybe I'll give back. But I want to harvest a crop before I sow any seeds. I'm not interested in risking. Well, sorry. It doesn't work that way. You gotta sow some seeds if you're gonna have anything to, uh, to harvest. Here's a concept from esoteric philosophy that I think is essential to a deeper understanding of the law of attraction and the secret. And that's three qualities of consciousness as spiritual love. Um, that consciousness is radiatory, it is magnetic, and it is cohesive. Okay, Spiritual love is radiatory, like radio or TV, emanates or radiates. It is an electromagnetic energy. You know, I, I used to tell my students when I was teaching classes uh, in Los Angeles, uh, for years and years, I would, I would say to my beginning students, go to Radio Shack or the library and buy or borrow the simplest book on basic electronics and the relationship of magnetism to electricity that you can get your hands on. Okay, Read just like, you know, a, a fifth grader book or eighth grade book um, on magnetism and electricity and get the relationship of the two. When current Electrical current runs along a wire or a conductor. There is a magnetic field around it. Conversely, when you put a magnetic field around a conductor, it induces a current to flow along that conductor. If you are a spiritual being, there has to be a magnetic field around you. If you put a magnetic field around you, you will be a being that channels ever more spirit. You got more juice. You can become, through meditation and the development of consciousness, don't you see, a path of least resistance. You can be like a spiritual lightning rod where spirit, looking to ground itself into matter, says, there's Joe Blow over there. There's Sally Jones over here. They're meditating. They're raising their consciousness. They are becoming a path of least resistance. The more spirit can go through there. And so electrical or spiritual energy, if you will, flows through them to a greater degree. This is just Ohm's law and the 
fact that it's ancient, that we understood through the teachings of of shamans and, and medicine women and medicine men and, and great philosophers and and, and, uh, and and other teachers that that we understood these concepts as spiritual concepts of magnetism and energy before we understood physical magnetism and electricity is pretty profound to me. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so certainly we can use what we know about physical world magnetism and electricity to gain some insight. We can use physics to understand metaphysics, right? Does that make sense? So consciousness radiates. It emanates. Okay? It's also magnetic, hence the law of attraction. This is probably best understood as sympathetic vibration, sympathetic oscillation. Sometimes it's called sympathetic magic. If I'm in a music room, a recording studio, and there's a piano here and a snare drum over here, if I find the right note, or when I find the right note on the piano, that snare drum is going to vibrate all by itself. Why? Well, because when I hit the right note on the piano, the hammer hits the string, the string vibrates and creates a vibration of air molecules a chain reaction, this is hard to believe, but you know it's true, you've known since grade school, and that vibration goes in all directions, and when it impacts upon your eardrum, it sets up a vibration in the inner ear that is perceived by the brain and interpreted as sound. Okay. Well, that vibrations go in other places, and most of the surfaces that it hits are not sympathetic, so they don't react. But if it hits the head of a snare drum, because of the nature of the snare drum, there's those little metal uh, chains that are give the snare drum its sound, they'll begin to vibrate, and the head of the drum will begin to vibrate, to oscillate in sympathy with that right piano. Now, if the frequency is too low or too high... It won't work. It's got to be sympathetic. You have to find the right frequency. Well, doesn't that mean, then, that if you hold in your mind the frequency of a concept, not just a symbol, like I want a new car, but a, but a greater concept of I want the freedom to travel wherever I can go, to be as free as possible, and to do it responsibly in terms of energy and air pollution and so on, I don't... I don't want to drive a diesel Hummer in order to be free. I don't need that. What I don't need the appearance of whatever that's going to offer me. I just want the freedom. Go to the deeper. Go beyond the symbol to the deeper absolute when you wish to use the law of attraction to manifest something. And let the universe have some input. You know, this is... This is another concept that we need to talk about, which is that you have to, when using the law of attraction, you have to consider that you may not only get what you want, but you may get what you want blended with something that you need. And so, I remember the philosopher Manly Hall used to say, know what you want, but hold it gently in your hand. 
you may get what you need enfolded within it so that uh, uh, on first blush, the appearance says, I didn't get what I want. I didn't get what I wanted. This damn law of attraction thing isn't working for me. It only I got 80% of it, but I didn't want the blue one. I didn't want this one. Well, maybe you're getting a circumstance, an opportunity, a relationship unfolded within that that you need for your growth. Actually, I mean, why are we here if not to grow? What in life or what quality of life is more central, more uniform than the need to grow? So to get back to these three points about consciousness being radiatory, this is the giving that has to precede any magnetic field or net that is then magnetic, the second quality, radiatory, magnetic, and then cohesive. Again, the implications of this are are, are difficult to enunciate, but it's really what we're saying is consciousness or the spiritual love, divine uh, awareness is the glue that holds everything together. It's the unified field. This is what Einstein was looking for. Einstein found it, and he said it in so many ways, but you need to be somewhat of a philosopher or a mystic to appreciate what Einstein's really saying. Love is the glue that holds everything together. Okay, I'm sitting in a chair right now. This chair is a collection of particles that are spinning and dancing and flashing. Why does it hold me? Because of the substance of the particles? No, because of the substance of their magnetic nature. They are cohesive. That that magnetism is the glue. Consider that consciousness is radiatory. you got to give in order to receive. You give to give. It's love that creates the magnetic net. It's radiatory. It is magnetic. That's the law of attraction. And it's also cohesive. It holds things together. Again, this speaks to the idea that you're not alone. You're not just creating your reality with the law of attraction, but co-creating. And further, let me say this about the nature of accepting responsibility. Don't worry about how you got into a situation. Your power is in how do you view it and what do you do with it. I cannot overemphasize this. Too many neophytes, people that see the DVD, The Secret, for the first time or read the book, and then, uh, you know, say, well, okay, I'm ready. Here's my laundry list. Here's my, my letter to Santa Claus. Now I'm going to uh, have uh, the same relationship to the universe that I used to have with Santa Claus, and I'll just ask for all this stuff. And it's just going to magnetize because the universe, after all, wants me to have everything that I want. I don't think so. I don't think it's (laughs) quite that simple. And in any event, don't worry about whether you magnetize the situation you're in. Put your attention on, can I magnetize the best possible perspective and the best possible response? Because the truth of the matter is, whether you created a situation all by yourself, whether you contributed as a co-creator, or whether you were a victim of some chaos, and you were blindsided by the fates, 
your perception and response are still up to you. Responsibility is your ability to choose a point of view and a response. That's where you use the law of attraction, not in reverse engineering, how did I get into this mess? Okay, you don't use the law of attraction for that. You use the complement we talked about earlier in the hour, which is consciousness is a two-way street. The alpha meditative brainwave state has a receptive as well as a radiatory quality. We can receive as well as cause, and it's a good idea to do the receiving before you do the giving. I'm sorry, I said that backwards, didn't I? <laughs> to to it's almost it almost is a conundrum. I don't want to be too confusing here about the idea that the receptive state is the state in which we give and the giving state is where we really magnetize and receive. You'll just have to play with these concepts. Important enough. Depends on how you model it. Important enough just to emphasize that it's a two-way street and that we're not in the isolation on this. One final point I want to make about synchronicities and siddhas. S-I-D-D-H-A, a siddha, is a Sanskrit word for the many powers that begin to accrue when you practice meditation and the law of attraction. Um, my wife, Doreen, likes to say, higher consciousness is not wider consciousness. And although we talk about expanded awareness in the same breath as heightened awareness or consciousness, um, consider what this means, that to have more power is not necessarily to make an approach toward the divine source of realizing the nature of your existence, who you are and why you are, especially if those powers are used for glamour or the appearance of things, narcissism. I'm talking essentially about ESP and gifts. Uh, you will, as a meditator, become more intuitive. As you become more intuitive, you will understand things that you don't really understand how you understand them. You will know things in ways that uh, are no longer limited to physical sensation and logic. There, another channel will open up where, uh, I won't say illogical, but a non-logical uh, realization or a set of understandings and realizations, insights can occur to you. And uh, this needs to be developed, but to a large extent begins to happen when you meditate. You just sort of know things. Uh, you become more psychic. You think about somebody and the phone rings. Uh, you, you know you know who they are before you who, who's calling before you pick up the receiver. Um, premonitions, uh, dreams of prophecy, um, uh, psychic phenomena, uh, clairvoyance, uh, all of these things are likely to begin to happen to you. Just keep in mind that these powers are not in and of themselves evidence of any kind of spiritual growth. And the same can be said for synchronicities. Beginning to see meaningful coincidence in your life 
is a very exciting uh it's a rush it's <laughs> to begin to see the wholeness and the organization in life is a pretty wonderful thing um, just don't let it go to your head so to speak and consider what is meant by power and who is the powerful one are these your powers or are we more the sorcerer's apprentice you know the character that Mickey Mouse played in the Disney recount of the story where he uh, the, the wizard the wizard what goes to take a nap or something and and his apprentice played by Mickey Mouse puts on the hat and opens the book and gets the power and so he commands the mop and the bucket to do the work for him he doesn't want to mop that water up off the floor so he commands the mop to do it and the mop becomes animated and then the bucket helps but you remember what happens is the symphony swells and the, <laughs> the music swells, uh, and suddenly there's multiple mops and multiple buckets, and the water is everywhere. And he just doesn't know how to control the power. He's using the power for the wrong reason. He's using the power to try to avoid the basic responsibilities of life. What, what the Buddhists would call chop wood, carry water, or or who was a Jack Cornfield that said, um, first enlightenment and then the dirty laundry. We, we have basic work we have to do, and we can't use our siddhas or our powers um, in all ways to transcend the responsibilities of, you know, we can't use it selfishly for your own self-interest. That's what it's about. It's got to always be for the greater good. That's the difference between white magic and black magic. And it's a very high standard. It's a very high bar. And any time we use magic, the law of attraction or any other form of spiritual, uh, using spiritual powers, we exploit those powers if we do it for our own self-interest. Even it's, it's black magic just to use these powers without regard to the impact on other people. Okay. You say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody, so it's not black magic. I don't want to steal their stuff. I can use the law of attraction, and it's not black magic. I disagree. I would suggest that a more careful reading of what mystics and philosophers and spiritual people have, have said down through the ages, and, and, and coupled with more clear reflection in your own process, contemplation and, and meditation, take another look. But maybe what you'll come to understand is, I believe I understand, and, and lots of others in, in the field, is that it's got to be done for the greatest good of all concerned. Uh, anything done selfishly, even if there's no malevolent intention, you're not doing black magic in terms of wanting people to suffer or be hurt or lose, uh, it's still black magic if you just do it for the self without regard to the impact. So all use of the law of attraction has to be based on a concept of what's the greatest good of all concerned. Wanting what in business is now called uh, the win-win situation. Now those are just some of the comments that I wanted to make uh, about uh, the... Uh, 
law of attraction and, and the secret. Let's go to some of your questions and your comments. If you'd like to submit, you'll see a box in the bottom of the web. Unless you're on the phone, of course, or listening to the replay. But if you're with us live here at, uh, well, just a minute after 2 o'clock West Coast time, after 5 o'clock East Coast time, it's just a little after 11 in the morning here in Maui. Uh, you can use that box and make a submission. I've already acknowledged Jim in Anaheim. Thanks for your good comments and questions. Uh, John in Pittsburgh says hello. Carol is with us again this morning. And uh, Carol's telling us about uh, uh, Georgia Lambert, who's a friend of ours, a teacher of mine and a teacher of Carol's, who is apparently part of a, a series that's being filmed now, kind of a follow-up to The Secret about magical Egypt. And um, i uh, that's all I know. She says, go to magicalegypt.com and just keep your eye peeled. I'm sure there's going to be some follow-ups in them really interested in this one if George is going to be in it because she really cracked the code for me here's a comment somebody forgot to put their name in oh it's on the bottom I see Glenn in San Diego says hi hope all is well glad you're doing a show on the secret which I've watched several times interested in uh, in uh, learning all I can about the law of attraction best regards Glenn hello Glenn Nice to hear from you today. In Big Bear City, Veronica. Uh, hello, Veronica. How do you drive away a self-defeating inner voice? Wow! Question of the day. That's super. Thank you. The answer, you don't. And I, <laughs> I don't want to be flippant. You don't drive away. You don't oppose. You don't resist. You drop it and then put your attention on a positive, empowering inner voice. The self-defeating inner voice, the internal critic, is your ego. Its intention is to protect your separate nature, to protect uh, in a law of the jungle way, uh, to help you survive. Okay, Maslow's hierarchy, number one, survival. Okay, And... So the part that criticizes us is well-intentioned, but it often takes the voice of our parents, becomes part of our own anxiety, it's self-loathing. You can drop it, Veronica, just like yesterday's garbage wrapped in yesterday's newspaper. Put your foot on the pedal of the trash can, the lid pops up, you let it go, ka-plunk, and it's gone. Providing you then put your attention on a positive, affirming voice. Okay, that's what you do instead of trying to drive away, or even uh, challenge, or or fight. You know, as in some sort of conflict or struggle. I'm going to defeat. I, it, I that's I just love the question because. Again, being physical beings in a physical world of separated forms, that's what you do. That's what we try to defeat. You know, the, 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 Several of the books that are coming out now about George Bush uh, marvel at the accounts that have been collected of just how much bloodlust Bush had, how much he wanted to kill and bring them on and 
you know, dead or alive and all of this, the bloodlust that people saw in Bush's eyes and heard in his speech, especially behind closed doors, is now leaking out and being reported. Uh, Dark Side, the new book, talks about this. My wife, Doreen, is reading it. And, uh, I, I mean, that's St. George and the Dragon, good over evil. You know, good vanquishes evil. Uh, consider that love vanquishing fear, Veronica, is very different from St. George slaying the dragon. That, that's an old archetype, and for the last 2,000 years probably served us pretty well. Good defeating evil, the way St. George slayed the dragon. But love defeats fear, not by conquering it or vanquishing it, but lifting its ignorance into understanding. And that's how love works. It's understanding. Let's see. In Pittsburgh... Marcy Watkins says, hello, Michael. Hello, Marcy in Pittsburgh. Nice to hear from you. Lorelei Hatch says, hello. Nice to hear from you, Lorelei. She says she's in Huntington Beach, but I know you go to Arizona, so I'm always confused, Lorelei, about where you are. But whether it's Arizona or Southern California, it's always good to hear from you, a listener of mine and good student for many years. Uh, Roberto in Oceanside says, hello, good topic, thanks for your insights into the Law of Attraction. Also in Irvine, Max says, hi, could you please explain what synchronicity is? Yeah, sure. Um, let me do just a couple of minutes on that. And uh, then because it's about six minutes after the hour, we'll move on to um, the meditation want to see if there's anybody else. Oh, John in Pittsburgh says, a great book on this topic from your recommended list, meaning mine, uh, written 46 years ago, Catherine Ponder's The Dynamic Laws of Prosperity, and that is a very good book. I highly recommend that. All right, Max wants me to uh, talk a little about synchronicity. Uh, synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. And I guess the second thing I need to say about it is that it's very personal. The temptation, or the risk we take, is in believing that our synchronicities are everybody's synchronicities. Because some of them are just so blatant and so seemingly universal, like anybody in the room would have seen that synchronicity. Um, I was talking about poison ivy, and suddenly, within one minute of my saying, initiating this conversation about poison ivy, somebody on the TV news is suddenly doing a story on poison ivy. Well, now, what in the how do we explain that coincidence, that kismet, that serendipity? That synchronicity. Synchronicity, more than any of those other words, suggests that there may be a cause-effect relationship between your talking about poison ivy and the person on TV just happening within moments to begin a story on poison ivy. I mean, what are the odds? What are the chances? It's up to you to find the meaning in that. Because if three people are in the room... And that happens, and they all get it. They go, whoa, that's a little weird. I wonder what that means. Well, they might have three very different relationships with poison ivy. 
One person thinks, well, that's interesting. I've never had poison ivy. So I wonder what that's about. And another person, oh, my God, that reminds me of when I was a kid and I was rolling around in it. And, oh, I had to go to the hospital. I suffered for days. Their search for meaning in that synchronicity was going to be very different. So that's the primary caveat that I would have with it is keep it personal, make it personal. Don't expect other people to honor or respect what you see as a synchronicity. Okay, it's more a matter of feeling than logic. Again, this comes in through the, uh, I don't want to say the emotional nature, but the intuitive nature. It's more emotional than mental, but it requires synchronicities uh, are more apparent to, and more, I'll say more likely to be realized or experienced by people who are meditating and who are reflecting upon the nature of their existence. They're philosophers, metaphysicians, um, success-oriented, personal growth-oriented, spiritual fulfillment people. Um, you put your attention on that, you're going to begin to create more synchronicities. And that's, as I say, part and parcel of the siddhas, or the powers that will begin to accrue as you meditate, as you create a unified field, a magnetic field, that carries your vibration, your consciousness, the things that are important to you. You see, if thoughts create reality and the, and the ideas and concepts that we dwell upon are magnetized, then it's real important, obviously, that we pay attention to what we're paying attention to, <laughs> that we watch ourselves watching, don't you see? Or if we dwell upon the negative, go back to Veronica a few minutes ago here. She says, how do I drive away the self-defeating inner voice? Well, your attempt to drive it away is going to put your attention on it, and then it's going to magnify, be even more tenacious. And the more you try to push it away, in fact, the net result is the more you're going to hold on to it. Okay. Not to backtrack and go back over that, but, you know, that's part of what we're talking about here with synchronicities careful what you put your attention on the synchronicities are hmm. you know they're a communication if not a message even if you don't know the meaning of a given synchronicity and reflecting on it in meditation doesn't help you it just seems bizarre like poison ivy what is I, I, that was an arbitrary example um Often things will accumulate, like two, three, four times something will come up like that. And and you may not be able to find any particular meaning, personal or universal, in it. Then just reflect upon or consider the occurrence that the one thing that this, these two, if not simultaneous, but synchronous events are happening juxtaposed in such a way that you feel there may be a cause-effect relationship, even if it's not obvious, then at least honor that, even if you never figure out exactly what it means. It, it helps you to understand that to some degree, your whole perception of reality, your entire perception of reality, 
is your construct and happening inside your head. Even if you're sitting kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball, with somebody who's instructing you, as I am instructing you today, teaching you, you're in charge of the perception. It's your, it's your brain that's deciding what to do with this information, and we have to take responsibility for that. But again, balance it, as Jim said, and, and we discussed very early in the class, with an idea that you're not alone, you're not solo in this, that everybody's consciousness and their synchronicities, to some extent, to varying degrees, it's all relative, have an impact on every other thing. Okay, so good. Uh, let's see if we have any other comments. I think that sort of catches us up again. Um, it's interesting watching this build. We have people that come in throughout the event, and some people leave in the middle of the event and then come back. So let me remind you that this event, like every other Sunday afternoon class that we do, is available uh, for replay. And it's archived on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. So if you have to run in the middle of this or you come in late, you can always listen to the replay at your convenience. Just go to theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on home page to go inside, and then click on web teleconferences, and they'll all be there. The whole list of every one we've done, you can listen by clicking on it uh, to the streaming audio, or you could download an MP3 right onto your computer. Another option, a third option, is to subscribe to the free podcast, which you can do on that same page, the Ageless Wisdom homepage, then web teleconference, and you can pop that into your iTunes or other podcast aggregator, and you'll get this program podcast to you a couple of days after it happens, usually by midweek. All right. Let's do a little exercise, and we'll call it a day today. It's uh, June 27th of 2008, and uh, or July 27th. What am I saying? Say goodbye to June and almost to July. We're coming around the corner, heading for August, and uh, we'll be here for the foreseeable future every Sunday afternoon. So uh, do the replay or the podcast if you miss all or part of the live event. Okay? All right, close your eyes and relax. Get in a comfortable place. You have to decide if this is an appropriate time for you to do this. And if it is, get comfortable, close your eyes, feel yourself in your body. And take a moment to consider how it feels to feel yourself in your body. And get a sense of yourself, if not perfectly vertical and sitting erect and stiff, uh, just get a sense, you know, if you're in a chair, sit back. Just get a sense of sitting up straight. And standing open and receptive to becoming very relaxed. To create in your body a feeling of letting go. Letting go, as Veronica suggested in Big Bear, that uh, she knows about the 
inner voice of self-loathing and self-defeat, let it go by letting go of muscular tension. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. Hold as you peak and as you exhale, just as slowly uh, feel the letting go of anything negative. Let go of the voice. I'm going to ignore you now and think about peace and understanding and love and harmony. If that self-defeating, self-loathing inner voice crops up and mocks you and laughs at you and criticizes you, resist reacting, resist resisting, and just let go and put your attention on feeling your body becoming more and more relaxed. Feeling more safe and relaxed. You can even imagine yourself, if you'd like, and this can be very effective, walking slowly down a staircase or taking an elevator, very slowly moving down. Just feel yourself in either case, moving down slowly, going deeper, becoming more relaxed. Just like falling asleep, but we won't go all the way. We're going to find a place to float in the middle between awake and asleep, close to sleep, alert, however, but not alert to ten or twelve thoughts at a time, instead allowing my voice to guide you, increasingly focused and alert. Fewer ideas competing for attention, now only six ideas, in a few moments only three few moments after that, maybe just one idea responding to the guidance of my voice. And at the same time, the emotional nature, all by itself, without effort, just by focusing on this feeling of letting go, of being more safe, deeper and more relaxed, the emotional nature becomes more peaceful more tranquil, the mind becomes quieter, the emotional nature becomes more calm, simply by letting go and creating this feeling of relaxation and safety, going deeper and more relaxed. Now I'd like to suggest that in this level of mind, you take your time, and yet trust your first impression. Just feel it out. Orient yourself more toward the feeling than any analysis or evaluation. Feel in your body, as it begins to occur to you, a problem in your daily life and affairs, that is of the type that we have discussed. I know the solution I want. There are other problems where we don't know what we want. But imagine that you do. And we use the law of attraction as the genie. For those situations and circumstances, for those opportunities, where we have a very clear and rather specific and detailed conception of a desired outcome. 
a goal or a solution, such that as we rub the genie, as we rub the lamp, that is, and the genie comes out. I don't know if you want to rub a genie or not, but you rub the lamp and the magic genie comes out and says, your wish is my command. Be clear about what the wish is. And consider that it's not really a wish. Any more than planting a seed in the ground is, I hope this blossoms. chances are very, very good that that seed, due to its innate intelligence, not due to anything that we do, but the innate intelligence of the seed is such that it knows how to combine minerals in the dirt, oxygen in the air, sunlight in water, into a miracle of growth, such that it eventually blossoms, brings forth flowers that are pollinated and then produce fruit which contain the seeds needed to replicate the cycle. And so it is that thoughts are seeds and your dreams the seedlings of reality. Plant those seeds now. Just one magic bean would do. One magic seed Imagine planting it in the ground, this desired outcome, provided you say to yourself silently and internally, provided that this is for the greatest good of all concerned, as you imagine gently pressing the warm, rich, fertile earth over the seed. And then imagine sprinkling that seed thought that you've just planted with the water that is your passion, that is your love, that is the magnetic nature of the law of attraction. Water it with your love, with your passion, with your aspirations. Not just simply desire for material things, but an aspiration for a refined and improved condition that benefits all concerned. Go beyond the simple to the, or, or the symbol to the, to the absolute. Don't just want a car, want freedom. Don't just want a house. Envision security and safety. And imagine everybody benefiting from everything that you seek to manifest in this way, always for the greatest good. You don't have to know what the greatest good is. You just affirm it so that it is clear that the frequency you create is harmonious for all concerned, most likely to impact gently and positively the process of growth of refinement and improvement that is life. Life is growth. If things don't grow, they're not alive. These things cannot be separated. Grow. Not just in our accumulation of stuff and money and the appearance of things, Go beyond those symbols to something more substantial. 
to the love and the kindness and the generosity, to the gratitude, the forgiveness, the compassion, the patience and the tolerance that is spiritual love, a sense of being part of all that is and working in harmony with all that is. Throw your heart ahead of your thoughts. Lead with your passion, with your innocence, seeking purity from innocence, from an openness to examine again newly. How can I enhance and refine and improve my relationship with the universe, existence and all that is? And imagine now that that seed has sprouted and grown that this desired outcome, this goal or solution that you have imagined has manifested. And maybe in a few ways it's not exactly what you wanted because you're now considering that you're getting what you need and folded within what you desire. And you're certainly open to that for the greater good of all concerned. And you are part of the greater good of all concerned. You are part of the all that is concerned about the greater good. It's not any sacrifice to lift your dreams and aspirations to this more inclusive and harmonious level. And so you experience already having it now. As if having taken a trip forward in time, giving no thought as to what you need to do to get to this place, but experiencing it as if you're already there, as if you already have it, as if it exists in another place in another time, but is destined to intersect in space and time with your existence for the greater good of all concerned in this way transcend just rise above any sense any worry about whether you deserve it or whether you can handle it and affirm that the, the, the universe gives you nothing that you're unable to handle affirm that even if there is an appearance of this being too much. That it just allows you the opportunity to dig deeper and find those resources. And bring with you effortlessly the wonderful feeling of having accomplished this. As you orient yourself toward the sound of my voice, remember the room in which you sit. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, and as you exhale, open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, feeling real great, all positive and enthusiastic, and I'm just about out of time, so I'm going to ease on down the road and let you go with my gratitude and my thanks for being here. And finally, a request that you help us spread the good news, let people know that we're here forward the newsletter that you get on Friday, the reminder that comes to you on Sunday morning. Take people to the website, theagelesswisdom.com. 
click on that button that says free newsletter. All we need is a first name and an email address, and you can give me a phony first name if you want. I just want to be able to send these to your friends who you think would be interested in metaphysics and personal empowerment. And remember, click on that button in the lower right as soon as you can, as soon as I'm done, and wage inner peace. Go to FocusPassion.com, and as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.